Good morning. I'm Wimala, and I'm back today after an absence, and uh, have been through quite quite a journey. I left uh, back in early, uh, Janu- uh, January, maybe the I don't know the eighth or something, and uh, went to Tennessee. And my mom had just gone into the hospital, and ended up staying there until Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning. And in the meantime, my mom's condition had worsened, and she never left the hospital. My brother and I ended up staying with her uh, 24-7 for the last, uh, at least the last week, 10 days of her life, and were with her when she passed and had wonderful care at the hospital, and uh, she was on palliative and hospice care there pretty quickly. So she was 97, so there there aren't any surprises when someone's that age. Uh, your health doesn't get better, and but but you know it was uh, losing a parent is doesn't matter how old you are or how old they are you're still losing that uh, part of your foundation but my older brother was on the phone when she passed and had been able to speak into her ear you know so she could hear and my younger brother and I were right there with her so um i think it was it was exactly the way she wanted it would have wanted it to be had she had she uh, orchestrated it but it was quite a learning experience and now um tomorrow there's going to be a a small family and some of her church friends um in texas so we we sent her body to uh, back to houston where she has a spot next to my dad, all, you know, a tombstone with everything but the date of her birth, her uh, date of her death on it. So there's a small ceremony, a small funeral tomorrow uh, in Houston. And right after, the day after she passed, or two, day or two, I came down with COVID symptoms and tested positive. So I ended up staying another six days in Tennessee, and uh, the family in Tennessee decided that we we were all kind of exhausted, and it wasn't really a surprise that one of us got COVID, and that that would not be a good time to travel to Texas. So the uh, family who wasn't with her is having a, that ceremony, the funeral, and uh, they're doing, they're burying her, and uh, the family will get together later. So it's been quite a, quite an adventure for all of us. But uh, the beautiful thing is, is how close it brought us together. And my mom would have loved that. And we're spread out, but I think we're, we're close. So, um, the kids who were able to got to talk to her. Uh, you know, we'd put a phone up to her ear, and they would talk to her. And uh, the one, my one niece who lives nearby came and was able to visit her. So it was 
she was unconscious for almost all of that, but you never know. I think I think hearing those voices was um, good for us and good for her. So I I know so many of you have gone through things much less um, controllable than you know we were able to be there with her because she didn't have COVID. She had pneumonia, so we weren't we weren't forced to be away from her. So over the period of the last two years, people have had such difficult situations with their loved ones who were dying. So we were blessed to be able to be right there with her and uh, have that time, uh, have, have a little time to, be, to feel uh, our connection with her and with each other, which is pretty strong. So... I'm back. Uh, I'm not contagious anymore, but I'm still definitely tired. I had a very mild case. I'm sure it was the Omicron, and of course I'm vaccinated and have had the boosters, the a boot a booster shot. So I think that I know that that helped, but I still have a kind of a stuffy nose, and it feels a little bit like a, a mild cold. So I'm trying to be as careful as I can be. So I'm happy to be back with all of you, and I also want to get back into reading uh, the last part of the book, Wisdom is Bliss, that we've been looking at for quite some time. Wisdom is Bliss, four friendly fun facts that can change your life, and they are from, this is a book written by Robert Thurman. Oh. And he is essentially talking about the Four Noble Truths. Those are the four friendly fun facts. And the Eightfold Path that, that the Buddha developed. This is the path that can help us get, away, get out of suffering in this lifetime. Can help us learn about what suffering is and how it's in our mind and how there are different kinds of suffering. There's the physical pain of suffering that we often don't have any control over, but the mental pain that we bring on to ourself and uh, adds to our suffering. And so this path that uh, is a very important part of Buddhism in all traditions is what we're always looking at. And it's we come back to it. It's a touchstone. So it's... Uh, it's very important. And Robert Thurman, who's in the, Buddha, the uh, Tibetan tradition, his writing is just wonderful. And he really, uh, he, he illuminates some things that might have been, maybe that we traditionally haven't seen a certain angle of uh, one of the qualities. And he's really good about bringing some of those things out. And it's very good to read it, whether you're... Um, you know, in our Theravadan tradition, we you don't see us reading lots and lots of Tibetan Buddhist books, probably on the uh, on the whole. But I think it's really good to look at it and see any see differences, but see how the language is used differently. And sometimes that just opens up a concept better, which I think this book is really good doing. So the. The, it's not the last step on the, on the Eightfold Path. 
but there are eight pieces in this path, and it's a path that we we're never following it necessarily in an order, but there are all these different ways that we can look at our lives and see, okay, maybe this is where I need to 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 add some more uh, depth to my practice, or I need to add some more. Um, just intention. I need to live with more intention. I need to to look at certain things on the path if things aren't going the way I want my life to go. Or things that we want to focus in on, we can always find it by looking at this path. And there are two ways. We, we think of the path as the mundane path. I don't like that word, but it's more the, the mundane way of living the Eightfold Path is will will help us be happier, help us have a life that feels more, uh, I don't want to say productive, because that's not what we're looking for in the Buddhist path. Um, a path that can help uh, help bring happiness to our lives and help us understand what it means to th- see things clearly and see reality as it is. And they make this life and another and the next life they make all of those things um, be the best they can be. And then looking at it as a supramundane or kind of an extraordinary or liberating path is when we continue with that path about living as a, very, as a good person and living a good life and a happy life, um, then we also can begin, as we get deeper into it, seeing it as a liberating path to liberate us even from this kind of endless uh, one life after another kind of path. So we're always looking at it from both of those angles. So why don't we read some from this last section called Realistic Samadhi. And he uses, uh, Robert Thurman uses the word realistic as a way, we call it often the Noble Eightfold Path. And he likes using the term the realistic. So that really speaks to what we're always doing in Buddhism. We're trying to see things clearly. We're trying to see the reality of this world we live in, the natural world. And that's why being in nature is often stressed as a way to, you know, get out of our kind of indoors, uh, electronic, wired-up lives and be out in nature and become more aware about our connection with all living things and all living beings and also see how nature operates. And it kind of brings us back to uh, a good place to be. So the word realistic is his word for using... Uh, as a modifier for the Eightfold Path. So I'm just going to read some and then we can sit together. This is chapter nine. I think in this book, there may be 10 or 11 chapters. Realistic Samadhi. And Samadhi, I like the definition of Samadhi as the uh, very balanced focus a stability of focus, and it's often called concentration. But I don't like the the uh, the subtle meaning of concentration for us. Maybe as Westerners, it's just this kind of fierce, determined, uh, you know, 
forehead furrowed and uh, like a lot of kind of putting a lot of physical pressure into the effort we put on focusing on something. So I like just the stability of the mind as a better definition. But he will call it um, one-pointed concentration. Here we finally come to the summit of the Eightfold Path, realistic samadhi concentration. We must remember that it is completely connected to the first branch, the realistic worldview of absolute relativity. Without the realistic worldview to provide the aim, any still unrealistic samadhi would only intensify the subconscious core misknowing, meaning that we would end up even more strongly projecting intrinsic reality into everything, especially the deep sense of absolute self-identity. So if we start out with the wrong, the wrong view, the wrong uh, sense of what's real and what's not real, then we just will become very focused on on a, uh, will be deeply focused on the uh, the wrong reality, the wrong, including especially the deep sense of absolute self identity, which is not right view. On the other hand, without the realistic samadhi one-pointed concentration, the realistic view would not be able to transform the subconscious unrealistic structures of our misknowing consciousness. So it's that it's that final uh that that phase we reach eventually in our meditation of that one-pointed concentration that we just can move to from that stability of our mind. Until we get to that point, um, we're not able with just a right view without that practice and that working with our mind with uh, samadhi would not be able, the realistic view would not be able to transform the subconscious unrealistic structures of our misknowing consciousness. So at some level, we'd still be carrying that uh, delusion around with us. We have learned and analytically meditated enough in this super education in wisdom on the first two branches of the path, realistic view and realistic motivation. We have grown to respect the word and so have super-educated ourselves in the ethics of speech and body and made it practical with our livelihood. So our lives are sensibly prioritized and stabilized socially with realistic speech, evolutionary action, and livelihood. So he's talking about so far going down this path We've done all these things that make it that super, that mundane, beautiful path. We have realistically turned our creativity inward into transforming ourselves and so the world. And we have realistically cultivated mindfulness. So he's talking about what we often call right effort and right mindfulness. Remembering what is going on in our mind and freeing ourselves from being stuck exclusively in the past or future through memories, endless ruminations, 
and fantasies, anxious anticipations. By now, we are lucidly awake. So up to this point, we've been following the path, and he's just bringing us along, reminding us. So we are lucidly awake at this point. But all seven components, through vibrantly, though vibrantly activated, have not yet penetrated deep enough within to have transformed the unconscious into our conscious, lucid wakefulness, letting us become fully aware of our subconscious and so realize the inner freedom from involuntary reactive drives so we can freely deploy all our formerly repressed energies toward positive accomplishments. We need such freedom to fully transform ourselves into what he calls a bliss being, a Buddha, who can lift up the ordinary world itself. This is the power of meditative concentration. When we reside in this state, we are introduced to the freedom that already exists such that we can wake up to bliss. Let's explore what we mean when we talk about meditation. So up until this point, we've been working on developing our mindfulness. And that's in our daily moment-by-moment lives and on the cushion. But now he's saying this meditative concentration, this samadhi, is what what we've been building up to in our practice. So we don't start out from day one practicing samadhi. So we, we learn how to be mindful. We learn how to be more uh, aware of what's going on outside of us and inside of us. We build up those muscles to get to this samadhi. So let's explore what we mean when we talk about meditation. Meditation brings it all to depth. There are a number of words in Sanskrit, and now in the Theravadan tradition, we use Pali, which was the the language that the the Buddha would have been more familiar with. I mean, it was Magadha was uh, the dialect he taught in, which is similar to the the actual uh, proscribed uh, language of Pali. But Sanskrit is what the Mahayana texts are often written in. There are a number of words in Sanskrit that people translate as meditation. And in English, we mainly know about one-pointed meditation from the East and are somewhat aware of critical analytic meditation, as in that of Descartes and so many other great minds. There is Vipassana, the Sanskrit version of the famous Pali Vipassana, literally a seeing through, which is analytic meditation that considers things in order to know them realistically. There is samatha, serenity, literally staying in peace, which focuses on one thing and gradually disidentifies with and rules out distracting thoughts and leads the meditator into a state of physical and mental fluency that can be mistaken for the ecstasy of enlightenment. So samatha is something that we probably have experienced 
and and it can at times. Uh, you, you may think, oh, I'm 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 getting into samadhi, but it's really a very serene state. But it's not quite there. There is samapati, total production or immersion. Let's see, did I read all that? Yeah. Total production or immersion, which is best translated as trance. The Buddha taught a famous set of four entrancements in the formless states. Infinite space, infinite consciousness, nothing whatsoever, and neither just conscious nor just unconscious. There is jhana contemplation which resonates through East Asia to us as Chinese Chan, Korean San, and Japanese Zen, everywhere nowadays in popular culture. It is, of course, bodhisattva transcendence and can include both one-pointedness and discursive analysis. There is also a famous set of four contemplations, uh, and we call these the four supreme states, which are important contents of realistic samadhi. Immense love, metta, compassion, karuna, joy, mudita, and equanimity, which is upekka. We talk about those a lot in, in the Theravadan practice. Finally, there is bhavana, which comes from a verb to be or to become, and is often <clears throat> translated as meditation but actually might be better translated in some context as realization, to make something real or bring it into being. Thus, when you understand something by reasoning intellectually, that is itself important, but the understanding needs to be brought down from head to heart, needs to be realized, made real for your whole being. That's a very important uh, sentence, very important paragraph, because it often comes up in suttas when, and sometimes we understand something by reason, reasoning intellectually. That's important. But the understanding needs to be brought down from head to heart, needs to be realized, made real for your whole being. And that's the, that's the real work, making it be real. And that's why it's so easy sometimes we think, oh, I was doing so well, and then I just kind of fell apart, or I really slipped away. Some people will say they even slipped away from their practice. But it has to become, it has to be real. It has to be realized, made real for your whole being. And that's what we're all working towards. So I think I'm going to stop reading with that. This is very. This is a lot. So this is why we do meditation. Uh, I've had people ask me why we don't just kind of start with samadhi, and we're we're work, we're building up our meditation uh, muscles. You know, we're building our practice and our life, and as as our life becomes more, uh, well. I hope this doesn't sound like a boring word, but as our life becomes more pure, as we've kind of cleaned up those little messy things in our lives, 
It might be the way we think or being negative or being uh, maybe too cynical or it might be different attitudes that we have that are really entrenched that we have trouble um, seeing through. Um, when, when, we, when we are working on these different parts of the Eightfold Path, we're cleaning up a lot of that stuff that, that becomes uh, something that just be, gets in our way. And it, it just becomes um, easier and easier the more we're working with those things that, that are kind of deeply ingrained in us that we like to, we like to see through them. So that's the work that we're doing. And then, the, uh, like Diane's saying, realization is experienced. So we can really see, yeah, I, I really love that paragraph. So the next section, and I'm not going to read anymore. My voice is still, I might start coughing, you know, at any point. The next, we're going to talk about the, the uh, what he calls the four immensities, the four immeasurables. And most of us have heard of these. And their meditations, you can work with these. Uh, these are these are good good for the rest of our lives. Love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. We'll talk about those later. He goes into these uh, quite deeply, which is good. Those are very important in our tra- our tradition as well. So. Um, even if you think, whoa, I haven't even come close to samadhi or uh, I don't even know what that's what that experience would feel like, that's perfectly okay. This is not, this is not, um, but it's, this is something that um, is probably difficult for most of us because we may not be, have time to practice very much in our daily lives or uh, we may feel like we need we we feel like we need this, but I, we probably don't need need to go on long retreats to uh, to achieve some of these some of these things. But I think when we read more about realistic samadhi, uh, it will become clearer to us, and it will we can we can begin looking at our own lives and see where where uh, we've either been experiencing this part of our meditation practice, or um, we're not as far away from it as we think. And it might just be something that we're, we're getting ready for. Um, so I want to end our group today. I don't, let's, let's uh, have a short meditation together, but we will continue on Thursday reading about the four immeasurables, which uh, there's always something new to to get whenever reading a different teacher. I think is really I'm really excited to get to uh, his words. Yeah, it should. Marianne's saying so encouraging. It should be encouraging because the Buddhist teachings really it's a graduated path, and so if you're not having, I mean, we'd never want to have out of body experiences. Um, Years and years and years ago, I was in a path that was actually uh, teaching people like like that that you wanted to have a, a ex, an out of body experience so you could look back down on your body, 
And that was the point of the meditation. And um, I'm so glad that in Buddhism, we're never trying to leave the body. We're in the body. We're staying in it. There's no, there's no value in, in leaving the body because this is the vehicle that, that we're in this lifetime. So becoming... Uh, learning what we everything we can learn about this body and how it operates and how it helps us on the path and how necessary it is to be human and on this path on this earth um, the Buddha said everything we need to learn is in this is in this fathoms long body and uh, that's that's something we have to keep remembering because I think there are many people who think, oh, having an out-of-body experience is, is maybe something really exciting. And that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about samadhi. We're talking about that uh, concentration. And it's helping us uh, learn things from a different angle than we can learn just with our with our brain. So... Yeah, we'll read it together and see where it takes us. Um, let's sit for a few minutes. It's so good to be back with all of you, and I'm just so grateful to be back. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for the journey that I've been on to be able to be with my mom. I've, I've been, um, it had long been a desire of mine, a dream of mine that even though she was living in Tennessee that I would be with her when she passed. And that was very important to me, and it, and it worked out. It would have been great to have her around a little bit longer, but I had her so much longer than, than so many of us. Um, so I have no regrets. There are no regrets. And so many people uh, have talked about how much they loved her and how much they appreciated working with her, um, even friends of my brothers and mine from high school who always remembered her as being nice and kind and friendly. So um, I'm just grateful to be here with all of you and grateful grateful for my journey recently and, uh, and know all of you are in the middle of great journeys yourself. So let's sit for just a little bit and then I'll I'll end it and hope if you have time, you can continue a bit longer. So just be, let your back be straight. Whether you're walking or sitting or on your back or whatever you're doing, just lift up your spine and roll your shoulders back. And just give your lungs all that space for them to do their do their do their job for you. Just be aware of your breath and the body breathing for you.
Be aware of your sense doors. If your eyes are closed, that's fine. That helps us reduce a little bit of the sensory input. And if you need to have them open, that's okay. Just let your gaze be a, a little downward so you don't get overwhelmed with everything visually going on around you. But let your senses be opened. Let those sense doors open up. Take in the sounds, the smells, the feeling of contact on your skin. Be aware of your feet touching the floor. Your seat on the chair or the cushion. Be aware of taste in your mouth. As you breathe, just keep relaxing. Just keep letting go and letting be. Feels so good being with all of you.
Before we end, I'd like to do a short metta practice. <clears throat> Think first of yourself, caring for yourself, loving yourself. Sometimes that means we put ourselves first. That doesn't mean we're not also taking care of others at the same time. May I be well and content and able to see happiness and joy in my life. And may I live in peace. And use the words that help you feel whole and safe. May I be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. Now move out and just think of your loved ones. Sometimes we may be aware of so many loved ones that we need to focus in perhaps maybe every day when you practice metta. Think of someone, a different loved one, maybe a different family member or a different friend. So may my loved one be well and feel safe in the world. May this loved one be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May this loved one be at peace. May this loved one know happiness and joy. Now for today, that will be our metta practice. Just focus on yourself and a loved one. But also, we're going to be thinking about all beings. So may everything we do and think and say today be done not only for our benefit, but in this respect, we want to 
Be aware of the benefit to all beings everywhere. So thank you. Have a beautiful day. I'll see you on Thursday.